A couple months ago, Hollywood screenwriters went on strike, bringing professional screenwriting to a halt. Then, last week, SAG-AFTRA, the Actors Guild, also went on strike. The result of these strikes, and potential other strikes to come, is that film and TV production in the United States has come to a complete halt. If filming for your movie or TV show has not wrapped, it won't wrap until after the strikes are concluded. As an author, these strikes will affect you more than you might realize, both in good ways and in bad ways. It's an opportunity if you know how to take advantage of it, but it could also hurt you if you don't. So what does the Hollywood strike mean for authors? Find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead, Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this episode is for published authors, both indie and traditional fiction and nonfiction. If you're an unpublished author, this strike won't affect you very much one way or the other. To understand the strike, though, we need a bit of context. So this strike is not a normal strike. While the screenwriters strike fairly regularly, the actors don't strike very often. And we haven't seen both guilds strike together since 1960. And to give you some context, the president of the Screen Actors Guild back then was Ronald Reagan. Before he was a president or a governor, he was a union boss. In fact, he went toe-to-toe with the AMP TP, which is the American Motion Picture and Television Producers, which is the other side of the table. Now, the other thing that's a bit different about the strike is that the major Hollywood studios want and even need the strike to take place. So normally a labor strike is very bad for a company being struck because if they can't make widgets, they can't sell widgets. But in this case, the strike just might save the studios. So how? (laughs) If you don't understand this, you're not going to understand the strike. So the problem fundamentally is Hollywood decadence. Uh, Studios are spending so much money to make movies these days that they're losing money on the films that they release. So for some comparison, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark had a production budget of $20 million in 1980. If we adjust that for inflation, that comes out to about $74, $75 million today in 2023. So 1980, they were making blockbuster films for about $75 million. So how much did the most recent Indiana Jones film cost to produce? Was it twice at $150 million? No, it was more. Was it three times at $225 million? No, it was more. The Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny cost roughly $300 million to produce. That's four times the budget of the original Indiana Jones and, and this is key, for a movie that wasn't as good. So it's one thing to spend the same money for a worse movie, but it's something else to spend four times more money for a movie that audience and critics don't like as much. To give you an idea of how much money that is, $300 million is enough to build 1,000 single-family homes. But instead, they spent it to make a two-and-a-half-hour movie, which, if you do the math, comes out to roughly $2 million per minute. Oh, and that's not counting marketing costs, which could be easily another 100 to $200 million. That is Marie Antoinette levels of decadence. It's no wonder that the sag after president was referencing storming the Bastille in her speech announcing the strike. 
Now, on the other side of the table, last week, Disney CEO Bob Iger more or less admitted that the movies that they're making are too expensive. They're losing money, and he talked about getting their cost structure under control. This is corporate speak for layoffs and pay cuts. And when a company is losing hundreds of millions of dollars on the movies that it releases, a labor strike ceasing production of new movies helps the company, <laughs> keeps the company from continuing to lose money on those movies, right? If these were profitable films that were being released, they'd want to make more movies and they'd want to release more movies, but they're losing money. And so the strike causing them to lose less money isn't going to have the impact, at least immediately, that the strikers are wanting. And this is especially true because the major studios are continuing to make money off of the old movies and TV shows that they've already produced. Disney's still making money off of Raiders of the Lost Ark, even though production wrapped 40 years ago and by a completely different company. <laughs> the other big issue behind the strike is streaming. So while the cost of creating films has gone up because of, I think, mostly just decadence and waste, because the money doesn't seem to be on screen, ticket sales are down as more people opt to stream movies from home rather than going to the theater. And so they're really being squeezed from both sides. The only company that seems to be profitably making money off of streaming is Netflix. Disney Plus is losing hundreds of millions of dollars, as are many, if not all, of the other streaming platforms. Now, I should say, companies like Amazon and Apple that have streaming as a part of their kind of broader offerings, they can afford to lose money with streaming, right? If Amazon loses money with Prime Video, but then because you're a Prime member, you order more products from Prime, then they're fine. If Apple loses money with Apple TV+, Plus, but it causes you to buy more iPhones and Macs because you want to have TV+, Plus, they are fine. But companies like Paramount and Warner Brothers, they can't afford to lose money on their streaming services. <laughs> That's, that is their business. Those services need to make money. They don't even have... A, an amusement park like Disney and Universal of any consequence that they can make money off of. And I, I think Warner Brothers has a licensing deal with Six Flags, but that's not a big part of their revenue. So from one point of view, the strike is the best thing to happen to the companies being struck <laughs> and because it allows them to halt their biggest expense, which is making new content. And they still get to keep their subscribers because all of the streaming services are being struck together, which means soon none of them will have new content and subscribers will have nowhere to go. So streamers get to keep making money, but with lower costs. This puts the actors and screenwriters in a terrible negotiating position. <laughs> they need the strike to hurt the studios, not help the studios. And I suspect the strike would need to persist for years for that to happen. So everyone in the industry seems to think the strike will be over in October. That's the date that's being thrown out as if this is like a pre-choreographed dance. And maybe it is. Maybe the strike will be over in October. But I wouldn't be surprised if the strike is over in October of 2024 or 2025, depending on how intransigent the union is. In the press conference announcing the strike, one of the complaints from the union that they brought up was that the studios were rescheduling and canceling the negotiations, right? That's a clear sign that the AMPTP is in no rush to find a resolution. And why would they be? The strike is saving them from losing money, putting out more unprofitable films. Now, when we talk about intransigence, the actors and the screenwriters see this as an existential fight 
protect their profession. They're terrified of being replaced by AI body doubles and AI screenwriters. And this is not an unfounded fear as more and more acting is done by computers. And if you're an actor, you now have to compete not just against the other current living actors, but potentially against the ghosts of the great actors of old. If I'm a bodybuilder trying to be a tough guy in a movie and that film company can just have an AI version of Arnold Schwarzenegger, why should they pay me? (laughs) So I understand this concern. And anyone who thinks that AI isn't going to replace screenwriters hasn't seen the difference between ChatGPT, which is GPT 3.5, and GPT 4, which you have to pay to get access to and is stunningly better and only one year more advanced, right? The AI is going to keep getting better and keep getting better. And meanwhile, the screenwriters are getting worse and worse. (laughs) The screenplays right now are not strong screenplays. The reason these films are failing in the box office isn't because the acting is weak. It's typically not because the computer animation is weak or the direction is weak. It's because the script is weak. The story is weak. That's the primary complaint. If you listen to the critics, especially the critics giving negative reviews, they don't like the screenplays. And so that's a really important thing to understand. And now both actors and screenwriters want residuals from streaming. But remember, streaming is not profitable. So they get residual payments each time an episode is aired on traditional TV. But when that episode is streamed, they often get little or no residual payment. Another thing hurting the actors negotiating leverage is that they don't have the star power that they used to have back in the 1960s. Why? Because many of them spend too much time on social media. Familiarity breeds contempt, and many Americans hold actors in contempt. Think about it. Do you think of actors as this prestigious class of people, or do you, in your heart, have contempt towards them? (laughs) Most people, if they're honest with themselves, there's perhaps more contempt than the awe in which actors were once held. And the few stars that are left, people like Tom Cruise, have effectively no social media presence, which is actually, I think, the first lesson for authors. A lot of authors think, oh, if I spend more time on social media, more people will love me. But that's not the case. (laughs) You you want to be very careful with how much of your personal life you air. The more mystery there is, the more curiosity there is to unveil that mystery. Once people learn everything, they get bored and move on. So the future is hard to predict. And especially when it comes to negotiations with very opinionated, powerful personalities. And that's exactly what we have here. I suspect the unions will have to cave because they're just not in a good negotiating position. And they'll only get some modest concessions from the AMPTP. But I could be wrong on this. And the government could get involved. The Biden administration has shown that it's willing to involve itself in union negotiations. It did so with the rail workers union a few months ago, pressuring a deal to happen sooner rather than later. And again, that's hard to predict. And and I'm not going to pretend to do that. And I will say the buzz that I've heard was that the AMPTP's initial plan with the screenwriter strike was to let it drag on and on until the screenwriter's houses were getting foreclosed and then to start really negotiating in good faith. Because, again, they want that delay in new projects. The new projects are choking them. And so they're in no rush. And the more that the screenwriters are in a rush, the hungrier the screenwriters get, uh, the better of a negotiating position that the companies will be. And we might see more strikes as unionized crew go on strike in order to unlock strike funds. So many unions will have money set aside to give union members if there is a strike. And if you're a electrician or a grip or a makeup artist, 
and you're not on strike, you can't get strike funds, but you're also not doing makeup or, <laughs> or doing electrician work. So you may need to go on strike just to get some money. But the thing is, as far as authors are concerned, more strikes aren't going to add to the complexity. The factory is already shut down. New movies are not being made. There's no union for post-production crews. So graphic artists don't have a union, they can't really go on strike without organizing first. And it's really hard for them to organize because they're scattered to the winds in different countries and different languages. The studios have done a really good job basically making it impossible for the graphic artists to go on strike. And it's why they've been relying on them more and more because they don't have to pay them very much. <laughs> so if you watch a movie now compared to, say, a 20-year-old movie, 20 years ago, the credits would last for one song and it'd be one column of names. Now the credits last for three songs and it's often multiple columns of names and most of those people are graphic artists, computer design professionals, and they're not paid very much. It's And they're worked really hard. It's a rough, rough job. It has some glamour because you get to say that you worked on that cool Marvel movie, but it does not pay well or treat you well. But regardless, the strikes are enough to stop all new production. So we'll still see some movies released this year because they've already wrapped the acting portion. It's just up to the computer animators. We'll see some movies come out next year. And if the strike ends, we may see movies going back into production, but it will be reduced. So what does this mean for authors? Hopefully you have an understanding of what's going on. And maybe like, none of this affects me. I'm not a screenwriter. I'm not an actor. But... Your biggest competitor is Hollywood, right? Most people are looking for entertainment. They're either going to open up a novel or they're going to watch something on a screen. So in that way, Hollywood is your big competition. But in another way, your biggest hope is Hollywood, right? What's the dream of most authors? To have their book made into a movie. In fact, the episode I had scheduled to come out this week was how to turn your book into a screenplay. <laughs> I had an interview with a screenwriter. It was a great interview. We'll still air it eventually, but it's like, there's no point in releasing that episode right now because the factory, the Hollywood factory is closed. <laughs> in fact, that's the first outcome. The first impact for authors is that your book won't be made into a movie anytime soon. It is right now against the union rules for a union screenwriter to even attend a pitch meeting. They can't do any work on any scripts whatsoever unless it's a what's called a spec script. So a script they haven't sold. It's kind of like writing a novel that hasn't been contracted yet. They can keep doing that. But other than that, it's very strict on what the writers in Hollywood can do, which means no one's buying scripts right now because they can't work on the scripts they've already bought. And even when the strike ends, everyone will be busy kind of bringing the factory back up and running and working on the scripts that have already been acquired. So now is really not a good time to try to get your book made into a script. And if your book is in process, because I know we have a lot of listeners and they have a book that's in the process of being produced into a film. All of that is halted. So that's the bad, right? If you had hopes of your book being made into a movie, those hopes aren't dead, but they are delayed. And you're going to be competing with more books because the longer the strike goes on, the more best-selling books will have come out and the older your current books will be. So you kind of are potentially missing your window, but not necessarily. Old books get made into new movies all the time. So there's still hope. Don't, don't give up hope. So that's the bad. Now let's talk about the good. Uh, so outcome number two is that this is the best time ever to get a celebrity audiobook narrator. So while union actors are forbidden for working on 
for Hollywood producers. They can't work for any company that's a member of the AMPTP, right? That's the organization or alliance being struck. You are not a member of the AMTP. <laughs> in fact, uh, the SAG-AFTRA strike guide on their website specifically noted that actors can continue to record audiobooks. That is an allowed activity. So most actors, 90% of actors, are have to work a day job to support their acting. So the acting, they do it on the side. And even the quote-unquote working actors, most of them have to act in order to pay the bills. There's maybe a few hundred actors who are fantastically wealthy, and the other thousands and thousands of actors, it's kind of a working-class job, middle-class job, depending on how much work they have which means they're losing out on income that they need to replace. And audiobooks are a very natural way to do that because it allows them to keep their acting skills sharp. It plays to their acting itch, right? The only reason someone become an actor is because they want to be. <laughs> so it's not a very good job. It doesn't pay very well. You're not treated very well unless you're in that tiny aristocracy. And most of the actors in that 200 actor group that get paid really well, they're from just a handful of families. <laughs> Often you have to be born into being a successful actor. It's not exclusively. Some people can break in. But if you're not from one of the right families, it's very hard. You're fighting for far fewer slots than you might think. Now, normally, actors look to earn a premium to narrate audiobooks, but with a massive influx of supply coming on the market, I'm expecting those costs to go down. In fact, I suspect pretty soon, audiobook narrators with an IMDb page will cost about the same as a veteran audiobook narrator. And so, sure, if you want Brad Pitt to record your book, it's still going to be really expensive. But if you're not going for the kind of top 200 A-list actors, B-list and down, you may be surprised. They're surprisingly affordable and surprisingly available. Is that production shoot that they had scheduled for August? It's canceled. And even if the deal were to be signed tomorrow, it would probably still be canceled <laughs> because it, it takes time to bring everything back up into production. The logistics of producing a, a film are quite complicated and you can't just restart it overnight. So, Consider, if you haven't already, getting a Hollywood actor to be the voice of your protagonist. That Now is the time. Now, the third outcome for authors is that this is a great time to interview an actor on your podcast. So actors and screenwriters can still be guests on podcasts as long as they don't promote any upcoming projects. And while it's tricky for them to talk about films, they definitely can't talk about upcoming films. They may or may not be able to talk about past films. What they can talk about is books. They can talk about books all they want. So if you have a podcast about books... Now is your moment to, to reach out to those actors you thought weren't available. Now they just might be. The fourth outcome for authors is that this is a great time to convert your book into a radio drama. So if you look at the strike guidelines, the SAG-AFTRA has a great page on what actors are still allowed to work on. They can still work on commercials and specifically noted is that they can work on independent podcast agreements. Those are allowed under the SAG-AFTRA strike. So if you have a radio play version of your book or if you develop a radio play version of your book, you could hire real Hollywood actors to perform it. This is an allowed activity and more and more actors will be open to this kind of work as the strike commences. <laughs> so beggars can't be choosers. And if the strike goes on for a long time, as it might, they may get quite hungry. In fact, I think you could hire a WGA screenwriter to make this radio play for you. This is a little bit unclear on their website. The Writers Guild website is not a good website. It's not as well made. 
And I'd also be careful with this, right? Because again, the big reason the studios are struggling is because the screenplays are weak. <laughs> and, and to give you an idea of this, Wonder Woman 1984, which is a $200 million movie. The third act of that movie is a close copy and paste of the third act of the 2000s Christian film, Apocalypse 3, Tribulation. <laughs> if you've seen both movies, and both movies have an Antichrist character who is presenting a quote-unquote false gospel to the world through by taking over all the satellites and you know, beaming his message to all the TVs in the world, and the hero has to hack the signal and present the truth. And the films are eerily similar, right down to the little sermon that Wonder Woman gives at the end. Obviously, she's presenting a different gospel, but the, from a storytelling perspective, it's beat for beat the same. In even like cutting away from her sermon, because in both films, it's a woman giving the sermon, to people reacting to the sermon and repenting and changing, it's the same movie. <laughs> so it's like Hollywood has screenwriters, their big aspiration was to make 2000s end times Christian films. <laughs> it's just, just funny to me. Of course, obviously, a big difference between those films is the production budget, right? Wonder Woman's much better shot. Choreography's better. The acting is better. The lighting is better. The makeup's better. The, the money spent on the movie is higher. And if you don't believe me, I'll have a link to the YouTube version of Apocalypse 3 Tribulation. Classic early 2000s end times film. And this is not to say that all screenwriters are bad and that all screenplays are bad. There's still some good films being made and some well-written films being made. But you have to be very careful. Just because someone is a member of the WGA doesn't mean that they're any good. And that, that's always been the case. The fifth outcome for authors is that there's more demand for your book, potentially. So humans long for stories. It is a deep need that we have psychologically. And we long for new stories and we long for old stories. And if we can't get new stories uh, from movies and TV, we're going to look for those stories in other places. And this is a potential opportunity for authors who write new stories. Because again, your biggest competition as an author is not other authors, it's Netflix. And if the strike goes on long enough, Netflix might start to feel stale for some people. In fact, that may have to be the outcome. As people start canceling Netflix subscriptions and Disney Plus subscriptions because the content feels old and stale, that will give negotiating leverage to the actors and writers who are striking and bring the studios to the table. But in the meantime... As those people are canceling their Disney Plus subscriptions, they're still hungry for stories. And where are they going to get them? They're going to get them from you, from authors. They might start cracking open a book. And I think this is a good thing, right? People watching a little bit less TV and reading more books, I think may be good for society, especially if the books that you're writing are good books. And while the strikes will be bad for the small fraction of authors who are in the process of having their books made into films, I think it's going to be good for most authors overall as consumers of entertainment switch from screen entertainment to paper and e-reader entertainment. Now, I will say, I think it's important not to gloat too much as authors about what's going on in Hollywood. I know a lot of people are unhappy with Hollywood right now for various reasons, and many of those reasons are justified. You don't like what Hollywood's doing, or you don't like what Hollywood's doing to society. And it's tempting to gloat or celebrate as they, quote, gets what's coming to them, unquote. But remember, these are real people, and they're suffering real harm. And it's not just the actors and writers that are suffering more so, actually. It's all the people around them. It's the makeup artists, it's the caterers, it's the people who don't have access to strike funds and are still put out of work, right? This is going to be a very real pain and it cast strikes put crew out of work and there's very real suffering going on and we need to be aware of that. 
You know, it's easy to love your friends. It's harder to love your competitors and even harder to love your enemies. But if you can learn to love your enemies, you won't regret it. You'll become a better person and a happier person. Hiring a striking actor to narrate your audiobook or be in your podcast production may not just be a savvy business move. It also just might be an act of love. <laughs> if you have thoughts about what's going on in the publishing world, if you have want to discuss breaking news, the place to do it is authormedia.social. We have discussions for each episode there and many discussions that don't bubble up to the podcast. I don't talk about breaking news very often on novel marketing, but I suspected that there wasn't going to be enough discussion on this topic and specifically how it's impacting authors because it's very easy to just ignore out of sight, out of mind what's going on in Hollywood. But I invite you to join the conversation because we don't just talk about the news. We also talk about publishing tips. If you're self-publishing your book and you have a question about some technical detail, man, I've been so impressed with how quickly people get answers <laughs> to publishing questions. Or maybe you're traditionally publishing and you're wanting advice on pitching agents. People are getting that kind of advice there. There's a job board. It really is a great resource for authors, if I do say so myself. And it's completely free. And authormedia.social can be found in any web browser. Just go to www.authormedia.social. Our featured patron today is Marissa Schrock, author of Close Encounters of the Murderous Kind. Bobby Sue Baxter thought summer in her small town would be dull and boring. And boy, was she wrong. When she witnesses a mysterious figure in a blinding light, she soon discovers that excitement is coming. Well-known townsman Ross Garland was found shot dead in the area where she saw the figure, and so she sets out to uncover the truth behind what happened. Will Bobby Sue be able to find answers she seeks, or will she get lost in the darkness? If you enjoyed The X-Files or Stranger Things, you'll love Bobby Sue Baxter's thrilling adventure, Close Encounters of the Murderous Kind. Marissa Schrock, thank you so much for being a patron. Thank you for your support keeping this podcast on the air. I really, really appreciate it. And a quick personal update. I'm going to be taking the next couple of weeks off. I do this every year. I have a family reunion that we go to every year, and I'm going to be spending time with my family and not making new podcast episodes. But we have over 300 episodes on the feed if you're still looking for something to listen to. And I also was recently on Joanna Penn's The Creative Pen podcast. She had me on as a guest where we talk about novel marketing. And so if you're curious, you're welcome to listen to that episode if you're wanting more content <laughs> in the meantime. But otherwise, I'll be back in August with your ideas, actually. So thank you for those of you who filled out the listener survey. You've given me a lot of new ideas for topics for the podcast, and I'm trying to do those topics. So the topics coming out on the podcast lately have been your topics, not my topics. Obviously, this week is a, a bit of a, a break in the plan, but we had some breaking news I wanted to discuss. But yeah, the Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. The audio engineering is by William Umstadt. The blog post is crafted by Shauna Lettler. And you can find that blog version of this episode at authormedia.com slash 380. I also have links to various news articles backing up various things that I said. So there's more work cited in this episode than normal. Again, authormedia.com slash 380. And I am Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.